1: Technology is a tool that can have a tremendous impact on people, or more specifically, people can be impacted, if they allow themselves to, by new technology. What does this mean with respect to things like reading and education? Today on the show, we have Naomi S. Barron, whose new book, Words on Screen, The Fate of Reading in a Digital World, examines exactly this question. This is New Books in Technology. I am your host, Jasmine McNeely. The book is Words on Screen, The Fate of Reading in a Digital World, and the author is Naomi S. Baron. And so. Before we even get into the book, one of the first things we always like to do on new books and technology is to have the author tell the audience a little bit about themselves. So who is Naomi Barron?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm a professor of linguistics at American University in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm also executive director of our Center for Teaching, Research, and Learning I'm a linguist by training, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of that my notion of what language is about that's really interesting today involves what we're doing with
1: technology. Okay. And how did you get into the technological aspect of your research? Uh, it has a long tail
2: to this story.
0: right. <laughs> uh, a number of years ago, I got interested in differences between spoken language and written language. If mm-hmm. you ask a linguist, is writing really part of what a linguist should study, most people would say no. But if you look at writing, you find we don't do the same things when we write as when we speak. Therefore, I got interested in the history of writing and how written language differs from spoken language that led me to get interested in the technologies of writing, so you could probably say printing press right around 1452-ish, and Johannes Gutenberg, and then there are other kinds of technologies of writing, so you can talk about um, the telegraph, and you can talk about the typewriter, and you can talk about uh, computer-based technologies. There are also ways in which speech interacts, so you can talk about the telephone, Um, and I began to get interested in how technology affects or doesn't affect the way that we speak and the way that we write. So I had done a couple of previous books, Uh, one was called Alphabet to Email, uh, looking at how The English language has evolved as a written form, another book called Always On, Language in the Online and Mobile World, where I was asking, is it really the case that the way in which we uh, communicate, particularly online, is different from the way that we speak and the way we do so-called traditional writing? And that's a long story I'd be happy to talk about. But it also led me, as a person who's been teaching in the academic world in higher education for a good long period of time, to wonder, well, what happens when people do things like read on digital devices? Are they reading the same way that they read in print? And the answer is no, but it has some really interesting consequences. I got interested, therefore, in asking, well, how do I document this? I have some impressions. I've talked with some people. But what would it mean to find out a little more definitively? I therefore undertook some studies Um, research here at American University first and then in a couple of other countries thanks to um, the kind cooperation of some of my colleagues so I've gathered data from university students undergraduates here at American University in Washington DC but also gathered data from Germany from Japan and from Slovakia again looking at university age students Mm
2: -hmm.
0: there's some fascinating things I have found and they don't correspond with the perceptions that most of us, either in higher education or as parents or even in lower education, K through 12, have about how people of this digital millennium age would think about
1: reading in print versus reading digitally. Mm-hmm. So. I guess perhaps one of the first things we need is a definition of what reading is in the first place.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent question. Reading is many, many things. It's deciphering words on some um, surface. So the surface could be a piece of stone, the surface could be parchment, the surface could be uh, a book made with paper, the, the, the surface could be uh, your iPhone or your Android phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Reading means many things to many people. Partly the answer is how old are you and how sophisticated you are. Mm -hmm. Partly the answer is which culture, which time in history, and how many people are engaged in the activity. So If I'm talking about a five-year-old reading, I probably mean something different from when that five-year-old is 15 and when that five-year-old is 55 Mm -hmm. in terms of the ability to scan lines, in terms of knowing vocabulary, in terms of knowing how to be an effective reader, how to remember things, uh, and so forth. But how much people read depends very much on what what the needs are so there are many societies in which historically very even with the coming of literacy very few people read was um 13th century england a place that was literate well some people could read but very few how much did they read very little. Mm -hmm. What kind of variety of reading? Well, it was mostly religious. (laughs) So our notion of reading changed dramatically when the novel was first developed in the middle of the 18th century. Suddenly you had um, a new genre, where there were these long stories you could read. There was more printing. I mean, printing in principle got started in England in 1476 with, with Caxton's work, but it didn't really come into its own until closer to 1700, 1750. Books were expensive. Paper was still expensive. Less expensive than parchment, but still expensive. But you suddenly started getting more people who had enough money to buy books, More people who had enough money to get some education so they were literate. And you had the prices of paper coming down. You had taxes coming off, um, which had been quite expensive on paper. So it was more affordable to read books, as well as as to read newspapers, for that matter. And what you had is a changing notion of what it meant to be a reader. And there are many, many instances of this. This is just one example.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Now, your your answer just then, talks about or speaks to the, the importance of context for understanding reading. So I'm wondering what is the context or what about the current context that we're in, um, particularly, that makes words on the screen, the fate of reading in a digital world, um, an important book for now, or not just the book, but the findings of the book. To me, what is important is to encourage
0: people To take reading seriously Mm -hmm. there's so many studies that have been done a number by um, the National Endowment for the Arts but other studies done as well suggesting we are no longer a nation of readers it's not that everybody used to read before but statistically when this nation was first formed even before we became you know the United States of America uh, reading was taken very seriously by an awful lot of people. And for a whole host of reasons, television is one of the first radio and then television and now computers uh, and, and uh, cinema that's available to everybody and on demand on your phone and your tablet and so forth, uh, we no longer are people looking to read for entertainment, looking to read to learn, looking to read to contemplate. The major finding from my study that, that that concerns me most is that people are so distracted, especially in the United States and other countries as well, but especially in the United States, by their digital devices. So when they are reading on a digital device, very, very often, if it has an internet connection, which your phone usually does because most people are getting smartphones for better or for worse, tablets. Most e-readers, not all e-readers, but most e-readers, let you go and do something else. And your laptop computer absolutely lets you have multiple screens at the same time. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Because digital devices enable us to do multiple things at a time, because they encourage us to move from thing to thing. So you go and you do a Google search, and how long do you spend looking at a page well, it depends on how serious you are. But statistically, and there are many studies that have been done, they all show about the same sort of thing. It's maybe 10 seconds on average. So you spend a minute and a half on one and you spend a second and a half on another. We're used to jumping from function to function when we're using digital devices.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When we read on those same physical devices, we tend to take the same mindset of jumping from place to place. So, you know, I look at the data that I collected from these four different countries, and I asked, on what kind of device is it easiest for you to concentrate on, and I'll call a book a device for a moment, mm-hmm. in print, on a laptop, on uh, a tablet, on an e-reader, on a mobile phone? Depending on the country, between 92 and 98% of people said, in a printed book. And then you ask them why. So I did a a survey for over 300 uh, students of of university age. And what they tell you is... I can't concentrate as well when I'm reading on a digital device. Why? Because this device is is designed for me not to concentrate a thing for long periods of time. What is surprising to me is that on the one hand, you have so many well-meaning people, whether they are educators, whether they are parents, whether we're talking about K through 12 or universities, who say, well, the digital millennium uh, folks, they just want to use digital things and if we want to help them feel comfortable with reading we'll give it to them digitally similarly generally speaking and there are lots of reasons for exceptions to this but generally speaking uh electronic versions of let's say books are less expensive at least in the united states not necessarily elsewhere than our print versions so if you have a um uh, a school system that's looking to save money and you say, do you know how much the textbooks cost and we have to you know, get new ones every couple of years because they fall apart? We're going to save the school system money. Universities say, do you know how much the students are paying for their textbooks? It's an average of, a, if they bought everything they were asked to, ask, to, to buy, it's an average of about $1,200 a year. Mm. That's expensive. And students don't have that amount of money, and even if they have it, they're not convinced they should be spending it on books. (laughs) So you say, let's get students to acquire materials in the way they're willing to acquire them. Digital is tending to be less expensive, especially if you rent it as opposed to purchase it. We're going to help students help themselves. Therefore, what you have is a whole... System. You have a system in education and you have parents saying, we don't want our kids to get left behind. We need them to be able to read digitally, right? You have a whole system urging reading to go digitally regardless of what the content is and not knowing anything about what potential consequences may be. What I found so fascinating from my research results was when you ask the students themselves, how do you learn? What do you think works well? Do you tend to reread more if you have something in hard copy or if you have something digital? When you read something that's digital, do you print it out afterwards and they will tell you if I care about learning something, I will do it in hard copy. Mm -hmm. One of the other fascinating uh, results from my study was when I asked if the price were the same for a digital version or for a hard copy, which would you prefer? Just a simple question. And overwhelmingly, the answer is hard copy. When I probe with my students in my classes and so forth, well, tell me about it. They said, "Uh, I don't have that kind of money. It would be nice, but I don't have that kind of money, and therefore, I go digital. So there's a real mismatch between what the students themselves understand about how they learn and what the rest of us, as the parents and administrators, are trying to do to be helpful to them.
1: We've got to do something about this. Now, one of the things that you were talking about is, um, with respect to e-readers and tablets, is the distractions that are encouraged, mm-hmm. perhaps, and and allowed with um, these different electronic devices. And so, you're talking right. about really yeah. some of the affordances of digital technology: tablets, e-readers, laptops, you know, mm-hmm. personal computers. And I was wondering, yeah. like, are the affordances of digital technologies, particularly these technologies upon which people attempt, at least, to read, uh, quite different than the affordances, say, of a book. Uh, I should say a physical uh, book.
0: Sure, sure. One of the wonderful affordances of a digital device, especially a mobile one, whether it's a tablet or an e-reader or a mobile phone, is it's mobile. Mm -hmm. You can carry it around. It doesn't weigh a lot. When I asked uh, in my surveys, what is the one thing you like most about reading on a digital device? I asked, what do you like most about reading on a book and a printed version, hard copy? What do you like most about digital? What do you like least about each of those two? The preponderance of people said what they like most about reading on a digital device is the convenience. It doesn't weigh anything, comparatively speaking. Uh, If you want to take five books with you or 20 books with you on a trip to Europe, it doesn't weigh any more if you take one or you take 20. uh, You can carry it with you easily. It doesn't hurt your back. I mean, all these kinds of things, and that's absolutely true. It's a very important affordance. Another important affordance is You can change the font size, particularly when people over 21 (laughs) or (laughs) over 31 uh, talk about what they like about digital devices. It's among other things. It's the fact you can make this print just as large as you need it to be. Uh, on the other hand, when you ask people what they like least about reading on a digital device, many, many, many people complain about eye strain. Mm-hmm. So it's not that everything is rosy just because you've made the print bigger. Those screens are really not as easy to read from as print. Uh, Another advantage that students point out, and we all know about, is you can search. You can find things. You can find things in a document with the so-called find function, Control-F. You can look up something online that relates to what you're reading. When students who are reading something in another language that they know some of, but they're not perfect in, in terms of their linguistic skills, want to look up a word, you've got the the foreign language dictionaries right there. Mm -hmm. And that's not distracting in the way that um, going to Expedia and trying to buy an airline ticket is distracting (laughs) or going on to Facebook or going on to Pinterest or, you know, name your favorite because we could have a hard copy dictionary right next to us anyway and it would be the same functionality. Sure. The The problem in terms of those affordances is you tend to want to take advantage of them. So you're reading along and you say, I'll just check this one out. And maybe it's a word you want to look up, but more likely maybe it's something you want to Google. And then when you're Googling that, you say, well, since I took a break anyway, why don't I go ahead and check out, um, you know, to see if so-and-so has a new status update and, and you know, the rest is history.
2: Right.
0: So there are a lot of really good things about reading digitally. I will also mention two things. First. In my own research, I did not look at what are called digitally native books. That is mm-hmm. books that are created to be done, to, to be accessed on a digital platform. There are relatively few of those kinds of books that have been done compared with the number of PDFs or EPUB files or whatever that are made of books that started their life in print. Why are there few? Because it's expensive to make them. Mm-hmm. My hunch is there will be some really... Good learning that takes place with the creation of good digitally native materials. So I have nothing against that. But that's a different kind of learning than sitting and reading and contemplating. And my concern is that as we increasingly urge students or people of all ages to read digitally, they're going to do less contemplating. We don't all sit and read for three hours on end from. Um, a print book, unless it's a really good thriller and we just don't want to move. We get up, we walk around, we get a cup of coffee, we take a break, but our mind isn't necessarily engaged in some other task. Mm -hmm. The problem with digital reading is when you take a break, with something digital, your mind gets involved in another task. There's a huge literature, at least 60 years old and growing, on multitasking, or so-called dual-tasking, which is this technical name. And you look at how well you can do several things at once and the answer is most of us do a lousy job of it uh, and how long does it take to complete each of the tasks if you interleave them with each other as opposed to you do one you finish it and you go on to the next and almost all the studies show if you do something finish with it move on to the next task when you add those two times together it's a shorter period of time than if you say well I'll write a paper but then i'll just send an email and then i'll just check my phone um, for uh, for a text. And then I'll go back to what I'm writing. You add those times together and it takes more time. Mm-hmm. The only exception to this is if you're reading on an e-reader or you have an incredible amount of discipline, which some people do, not as many as we'd like to believe, and just say, I'm reading on the e-reader. I don't want to look at anything else. If, if the e-reader is, let's say, Kindle Fire. And you can turn off the internet access and you just read. There are people who can do that. And in that case, the the e-reader works fine. It misses out on some of the affordances of print, and we can talk about those in just a moment. Mm -hmm. But people, if, if, if they are dedicated readers as people, they can accomplish this. The problem is most of us are not. Even some people who are really smart, even some people who have read for 60 years of their lives, they find when they're trying to read something online, they can't concentrate as well. And by the way, when they're even reading in print, they don't concentrate as well because they keep waiting for some kind of distraction to come. <laughs> and in fact, I had a student tell me this was, uh, you know, call him a 20-year-old uh, college student, said, I really love to read, and I love to read in print, but I can't read that well in print anyway. He's only 20, 21 at most, mm-hmm. because I'm used to reading on a screen, and I keep waiting for the distraction. I keep waiting for the ping to tell me that I have a text
1: coming mm-hmm. in. So we
0: are re-socializing ourselves as to what it means to read even in print.
1: So, you know, one of the things that you just brought up is larger impacts of Digital devices and reading. And I want to talk about some other of those. You just mentioned the re socializing ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. what do we expect during our, I guess, reading experience? But what are some other impacts? I know in the book, Words on Screen, you, you note know, the possible impact on writing. Um, uh-huh. and, and also, I'm thinking, what about impacts on memory institutions like libraries? <laughs> okay,
0: so let's first talk about writing and then let's talk about the future of libraries.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, what's pretty clear uh, when you ask students, if there's something short to read, does it matter to you, what, you know, what's, what's your preferred medium? Do you want it in print? Do you want it digitally? Do you not care? They don't care as much. You know, It's, it's a sort of all over the map. As soon as you ask about something long to read, they'll tell you they'd like it in print overwhelmingly
2: mm-hmm.
0: so uh, they have a perception of if I actually want to focus on something that takes a while to read I better print it out since however there is a huge growth in the ebook industry there's a, you know there are millions and millions of dollars being spent trying to get you and me to read ebooks because we do so much reading of, of shorter stuff online anyway mm-hmm. if you want me to read something that's online you better make it short you look at what a number of even the okay so if you look at two sorts of things number one um, serials in the sense of you know Dickens mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and some of, of his early works but there were lots of other books that were serialized particularly in the in the 19th century as well those are starting to come back mm-hmm. you've got five minutes or ten minutes to read here's here's a little bite and, in fact, my favorite version of this is called Snack Weeds. It does exist. <laughs> it's, you know, if you just have a few minutes, that one doesn't happen to serialize, but it says just a really short, short story for you mm-hmm. because I know you don't have a lot of time. Well, we don't have time because we perceive ourselves not to have a lot of time, particularly when we're reading online. Uh, academic publishers are responding to this, knowing they're trying to stay in business as academic presses. And if people are not buying the 300-page books... Would they buy 200? Well, would they buy 50? Maybe (laughs) 80? And many, many, many academic publishers. For all the right reasons to stay in business, to get people to read something that has academic content. If you're academics, you're supposed to do that, right? Your students, maybe? Uh, they have shorts and briefs and various versions of shorter versions of publications than they used to publish. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's clearly taking place, and there are many, many versions of this, some are more sophisticated uh, in a literary sense than others, is there is an encouragement of writing shorter things. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with writing something that is short, as long as people don't forget how to read something that is longer, because some things really do take more pages to explain what you want to say. There are many writers of fiction who are worried that they can no longer develop a complex plot with many strands in it, because it takes not just too much time to read all the pages to let those, you know, the, the skeins unwind, but it takes too much mental focus <laughs> on the part of the reader. And that is hard to do if you're multitasking on your digital device. Right. So
1: what, is there no pushback? Uh, I'm thinking of movements like the Long Reads movement. Um, yep. And you look online to
0: long, okay, so there's a long reads movement, right. and there's a, there are several slow reading movements, but if you look at, I think it's longreads.com, they tell you how many, how many words and how many minutes it takes to read it. <laughs> that is not exactly what we used to mean by long. Uh, so is there a pushback? There's some,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but statistically, I don't see enough of a pushback in part because if you ask where would you do that, you do it in high school, you do it in college, and you look at the lives of students these days in high schools and colleges, and there are so many calls on their time, number one. I think about the students in my own university, and I ask why are students spending so few hours studying? There are all mm-hmm. kinds of national studies talking about how many hours a week average students in the United States are studying, and it is jaw-dropping, um, it's about a third of what it was, say, 30 or 40 years ago. There are statistics that are comparative.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what else is going on? They're doing internships. They're working. And you take a 20-hour-a-week internship, and then you add to that 20 hours a week that you work to make some money because it's an unpaid internship, and then you're doing some of your social and your athletic organizations, and then you go to class a few hours a week. There isn't much time left to read. So what is it that faculty are doing? They are giving shorter reading assignments. Mm-hmm. They're giving a chapter, they're giving an article, rather than giving a book. We are socializing students, and we're socializing ourselves as faculty, to accommodate to what students are willing to read, or have time to read, as the case may be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Therefore, if we, if we are serious about wanting people to enjoy, to benefit from, pondering, Wrapping your mind around more complex ideas that sometimes take a while in terms of number of words to unfold, we're going to have to take this as a serious goal, which at the moment, uh, to my knowledge, no more than and I could probably count them on the fingers of one hand, universities are, are caring to do.
1: Hmm. So, is the medium the message here? It's curious.
0: Four or five years ago, when I first seriously started collecting my data, there were many of my colleagues who would look at me, and I say this in the book, with a certain amount of pity and say, she just doesn't get it. she you know, is she too old? Is she too whatever? She doesn't understand that some number of years from now, and it's not going to be many, three years, four years, five years, no one's going to read anything in print. They're all going to read digitally. And I said really. <laughs> so I, 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 I had a stiff upper lip and I ignored them. And then I went and gathered my data. If you look today at publishing figures, it's not, you no longer see triple-digit growth in digital reading. You see some growth, But you also see that a lot of print is coming back, particularly paperback, but not exclusively. You also see that after there was a terrible decline in the number of independent bookstores, we'll put Borders aside for the moment, you know, it's a big box store, but a number of independent bookstores are coming back. They're starting new stores, they're starting to grow, and particularly in the United States, because people understand that there's a real reason to care about books. These days... An awful lot of independent bookstores will sell you the e-books. It's not that they are against e-books. It's that there's a mix. Many, many, There was a study done by one, I think it was the Book Industry Study Group, and I could be wrong, um, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, asking, would you be willing to, do no, general public, would you be willing to pay a little bit more if you could get both the print and the electronic version? And an awful lot of people said, sure, Mm -hmm. because it depends where I am as to which one I want. If I'm traveling and I started a book and uh, it's just easier for me to bring my tablet with me, I'll start it there. But when I get home, I'd actually like to read it the rest in print. Mm -hmm. So I see a change in attitudes as the market, if I may say, is settling in (laughs) a little bit. I also think uh, that if you look at the data from young kids, such such organizations as Scholastic, the publisher, um, survey kids and parents on a regular basis. The most recent survey that came out in January from Scholastic said, if you ask, I think it's six to 17-year-olds, do you think you'll always be reading something in print? The answer is yes. Not for everybody, but for the preponderance of people.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: this is the kids themselves. This isn't just their parents. If you ask their parents, they will tell you, "I don't want my, my my child, my son or daughter, to get left behind." But I believe in reading print. I'd like them to read print. So you're hearing from both the parents and the kids that print matters. One of my favorite stories from a, a, a couple of different news sources, actually is of kids who have read something digitally first and then they save up their allowance or their birthday money and they go and buy that book in print.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: This is 14, 15, 16-year-olds saying, that's part of who I am now. They don't say it quite that way, but they say, you know, I, I care about this book. I always want to have this book. I want to see it on the shelf. When I turn out the light at night, I want to know I read that. You also find a lot of kids who... Our readers and they say I want to be able to look at how many inches worth I read Mm -hmm. I'm proud of what I've done you cannot do that on a digital device going back to what can you do with a print medium with the print medium I was astounded to see how many students when asked what do you like most about print reading something in hard copy I was astounded to see how many people said I like the smell of a book I didn't know these kids still smell. I-, I smell books, but I am i could be their grandma. <laughs> but they are telling me I like the smell. I like to hold it in my hands. I like to, be, uh, to feel the pages. I like to be able to locate where I was visually by knowing it was about a quarter of the way through with the upper left-hand corner, and I think I smudged my burrito on it. This matters to the same people who are sitting in my classes and maybe yours and texting away mm-hmm. who are on their phones all the time, whose phone batteries run out you know, by about one in the afternoon. Same people will tell you they care about the affordances of print and that to me is something that is so precious both as an affordance as well as to know they still care about this
1: mm-hmm. that
0: we as parents and we as educators would be fools not to capitalize
1: on. So the book is Words on Screen, The Fate of Reading in a Digital World. And one of the last things we like to do on new books and technology is to allow the authors to give an elevator pitch. So say someone happens <laughs> upon the podcast and they just happened upon this time in the podcast. What would you tell them that uh, Words on Screen is about and why they should read it?
0: Well, let me turn that around a little bit and say, what is it that I would like readers of Words on Screens to think about and to do? Mm-hmm. The reason that I wrote the book is that I care about reading because reading is a fundamental part of modern education. It's a fundamental part of modern life, mm-hmm. it becomes a fundamental part of who we are as human beings, as individuals, as citizens. And if we no longer care seriously about reading, an awful lot of society as well as our individual sense of well-being is compromised. I would like to hope that readers of the book will ask, what can I do? What should I do? I mean, it's a call to action, Mm -hmm. not just with my personal behavior, but the behaviors of the people I care about, whether that's my children, whether that's my parents, whether that is friends and colleagues, whether that's organizations, I do not believe that technologies are inevitable in terms of the directions in which they will go. Mm -hmm. Technologies come and go. We created these technologies. Sometimes we create technologies that have some pretty bad consequences, which is why we have... um, non-nuclear proliferation treaties because you say these are sort of dangerous right automobiles are dangerous we created seat belts because we realized automobiles are dangerous and we can and should do the same sorts of things with reading but if we don't take this seriously which unfortunately most people in the education world have not we have
1: no chance for change That sounds like a good pitch to me. (laughs) So the book here is Words on Screen, The Fate of Reading in the Digital World. What's next for you?
2: There are a
0: couple of possibilities. Uh, One is for me to try to um, respond to my own call to action (laughs) to see what I can change in the educational world. Uh, A second project that may be a book I don't know is tentatively entitled Know What?, the nature of knowledge in the digital world, mm-hmm. because if you think about, and are a whole series of studies on this, um, but not enough, if you think about how we have altered our notion of what should be in our brains as opposed to what we can look up, we have changed our social sense of what knowledge is. There was a discussion of cultural literacy a number of years ago with a man named E.D. Hirsch at the University of Virginia saying there's certain things you should just have in your head. And yeah, you might have to memorize some of them, but this is part of what it means to live, to walk around, to be a citizen. Mm -hmm. With the coming of uh, Internet and Internet search tools, there has been a radical reorganization in terms of how we run education. We are saying increasingly, you don't have to know this stuff, you just have to be able to look it up. Mm -hmm. The best example I will give you just came out in the New York Times having to do with taxi drivers in New York. There's an exam that you have to take as a taxi driver, which used to be, can you find your way to different places in the various boroughs in New York? Mm -hmm. There's still a few of those questions left, but what they are saying now is you have a GPS device, that'll get you where you need to go. You don't have to have that knowledge anymore in the detail that used to be the case. Next time I'm in New York, I'm walking. (laughs) (laughs) Because... GPS does not tell you the shortcuts. GPS right. doesn't tell you where there's likely to be traffic. You saw that there's construction going on. That's not on, your G- and on such and such a street. Your GPS doesn't tell you that. You know that because you live as a cab driver who knows the city. Mm-hmm. We have changed, we're changing that notion of knowledge, and, but we're changing it much more generally as a society. So that's
1: my next project in all probability. It sounds super interesting, and <laughs> New Books and Technology readers will be waiting on that one as well. But for this one, Words on Screen, The Fate of Reading in a Digital World, it's out from Oxford University Press, right? And they can get it anywhere online. So, Naomi, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you again for coming on New Books and Technology. And you're most welcome. I've enjoyed this enormously. Great. So this has been New Books and Technology. Have a great week.